Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. J. Michael Straczynski, who is a fairly well-known screenwriter, said this. He said, follow your passion. Everything else will attend to itself. Follow your passion. Everything else is going to take care of itself. And he was talking and encouraging people about how they should live their lives and what they should be doing with their lives. But it reminds me that there's the same kind of a, a, a pattern of saying this when Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. And he met all the needs of your life for serving him. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Be passionate about God and who he is and what he's doing and what he's called you to do. And when they asked Jesus, what's the most important thing that you, you do? What's the greatest commandment? He said, what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Love God passionately. And so um, today we're going to talk about this. I mean, so I, I get the sense that when, you know, Straczynski said, follow your passion, that we could say the same thing as Christians. <clears throat> our passion is the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And our passion is to glorify him. But how do we do that? How do we get our lives to be passionate about him and then everything else finding its rightful place from there? Well, let's go to our Bibles, to, second, or to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to start off looking at just one word. Okay, the first word is therefore. But let me read through the whole thing. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all speaking, all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. And so the very first word in that passage, therefore. Now this tells us that he's building on something. The whole first chapter that's there, and, and he didn't write it in chapters, but he's writing his letter and he gets to this place. And because he says, because of all this stuff I've said, therefore, then this. Okay? And so um, let's, let's think about this. What has he done, therefore? Let's go to the next slide here. Go ahead. Never forget this. And this is all things we've looked at in the first chapter of uh, 1 Peter. Never forget the best decision you ever made was to receive Christ as your Savior. No other decision really matters ultimately if you haven't made this one. Okay, And if you're, you aren't sure what I'm talking about when I say this, this idea of receiving Christ as Savior, the Bible is, is very clear. It tells us that all of us were born with a sinful nature, a very self-centered nature. 
wanting things to go our own way, and then we live that way in our lives. And so we did things we ought not to have done that God would say we shouldn't have done. We didn't do things that he said we should do. And sometimes we did things the wrong way or with the wrong motives. We've all messed up. We've, as the scripture says, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all failed to, to live according to his perfect standard, which is, it is perfect, it's perfection. So we've all failed. And that tells us that we are spiritually dead. We are separated from God. And if we die in that condition, we will be separated from him forever in a place called hell. Okay, very unpleasant thought. And uh, more than unpleasant thought, it's just a terrible destiny. But the Bible tells us that God loved us so much that he sent his only son into the world to die for our sins, to rise again, and to offer to us, if we will be honest, humble ourselves before him and say, yes, we have sinned against you, God. We haven't lived the way you want, uh, told us we should. We know that separated us from you, uh, but we believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is, and that he did what the Bible said he did, which is to live perfect, sinless life and die for our sins and rise again. And then, in the first part of John's gospel, he says this, he says, but as many as received him, as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the power to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. And so this idea of receiving Christ as Savior is, is choosing to believe, to put our faith in him, what he did for us. When he died on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins, we, we put our faith in that because we can't save ourselves, we can't fix the problem, only he can. And so we believe and we trust that personally for ourselves. And this is the decision we're talking about here. Okay? Receiving Christ as Savior. If you've never done that, you can do it right now, you can do it at any point. You just need to say, God, that's me. I am the one who have sinned against you. I'm the one who needs to be saved here. And that's why we call him our savior because we need to be saved and that's what he did, okay? So that, if, if you've made that decision, that is the best decision you've ever made. If you haven't made that decision, it will be the best decision you ever make. And I encourage you just to take care of that with you and God this very moment, all right? Faith is essential for living as a Christian. We are not only saved by faith and believing, we live by faith and believe. Because how are we saved by faith? Well, we, we hear what God says, the gospel, the, the truth about ourselves, and then we believe it, we choose it, we trust, put our trust in it, and then we live that way. Well, Christian life works the same way. What has God said in his word? How am I supposed to live as a Christian? I hear it, I see it, and then I choose to believe it and trust that that's the way I should live and live. Okay, so faith is essential. And so God goes to work on our faith. Peter talks about that in the first chapter. And then we need to think like Christians so we can live like Christians. This does not come natural to us. This is a work of God in our lives and we need to pursue him about that. I, I need to think like a Christian about the issues of my life. And so do you. And so Peter said we need to be focusing on thinking like Christians. Go ahead. God has called us to live as his obedient children. Okay, obedient children. We're, in other words, we're to do what he says. So we, we've already talked about this day. We surrender to the Lord. He's, the, he's told, telling us what to do, and we're saying yes to him and doing that. So that's an area we need to keep growing in. And finally, we have been given the responsibility and privilege of loving others on God's behalf. Okay? So we need to um, remember these things 
we're going to live the Christian life. And then understand that um, Peter now says, therefore. So really for Peter, those things we just looked at, that's starting place stuff. That's starting place stuff. And I really believe that what he's going to talk to us about today is, is talking about a, a passion that we need to have. So let's go back to our passage. And just to let you guys back there in the tech booth know that this monitor has disappeared, okay, for a little while. If you're able to fix it from back there, fine. If not, I'm going to preach the word. Anyway. All right, so here we go. We're back to therefore. Laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. <clears throat> and so I think especially in verse two here, uh, we see this truth that, that, and here's my challenge to you today, to grow in your passion for God so you can grow in your relationship with him. Grow in your passion for God so you can grow in your relationship with him. I think about this, just in our human relationships. Human relationships. If you have a, a romantic relationship gets started up, right? And you start to have some pretty passionate feelings about that, don't you? You have strong feelings. This idea of passion is strong, motivating, uh, growing feelings. And so when, what happens is we, we notice someone, you know, like I can remember this going way, way back. You notice someone. And I remember that uh, in church, uh, I had been uh, recently saved and I was in college and, and I was at church and I, I was there and I don't remember, I was standing at the front for some reason or other and down this, this aisle comes this young lady. And I remember how she was dressed, a gingham maxi dress. I think it was red with the red. And she had on saddle Oxford shoes. Passion started to stir. <laughs> I was Glenda. And I think I did something stupid, you know, like the boys tend to do and looked at her like. <laughs> anyway. But so we pursued that relationship. We ended up starting to date a little bit. But the idea is, acted on that, and guess what? What happened to the passion? Ooh, it increased, right? There's interaction, and did something about it. And then the passion grew, right? To the point we were married now, you know, 42 years, 43 years. Bunch of kids, all that kind of stuff. Stuff happens. But... Um, you paid attention to it, and we paid attention to it, and the passion grew in the relationship. And that's the way it is with God. If you, you know, he saves you, you, you you've received Christ, and it, it stirs some passion, but if you will act on it in your relationship with him, that it will stir that passion up and grow that passion. And, and if, so this is what we want to remember, that you can grow in your passion. Go back, would you please? Grow in your passion for God so you can grow in your relationship with him. Well, how are we going to do that? Well, Peter tells us here, gives some insight. Uh, a passionate growing relationship with God requires you to first remove self-centered approaches to life. Now, let me say this right up front. Uh, when I make statements like this, that's an absolutely true statement, but understand that doesn't mean you can go, 
all set. Took care of that, threw that box out, it's gone. No, it is an ongoing process, and I acknowledge that. I realize that, okay? And all, an ongoing process of, of learning to believe God and to see the world the way he says it is and to make the right choices and not believe the lies that temptation tells us or the lies that we tell ourselves, all that kind of stuff. It's a growth process. But if we are going to be passionate about God, these things need to go, okay? Because they are very self-serving. He had to remove self-centered approaches to life. Look there in verse number one. Therefore, laying aside all, he says five things here, malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Well, what does this have to do with being self-centered? Well, in reality, all these things are the way we act, the way we think, the way we feel when we are number one in our own lives. Okay, and we... You know, when an athletic team is number one, okay, they win their championship, what do they spend the next year trying to do? They want to still be number one, don't they? And so they keep working. And well, we do the same thing in our lives. When, you know, we see ourselves as number one and we want to continue to be that. Now, I'm not saying you consciously think this, but it is a reality of where we come from by nature. So let's talk about these things. Laying aside all malice. Uh, malice is about an evil disposition. Okay, it's, 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 it's a disposition or an attitude inside. And, and we think evil? Well, yeah, because we're talking about self-centered. Right? That's, that's my natural tendency with inside as a human being to be self-centered. Okay, so that's that idea of malice. And so it's not... We either live lives that are surrendered to God or we don't. True? Now, I mean, it may go back and forth in your life, but you're either living surrendered to God or you're not. You're either doing things God's way or any other way. I mean, this, these are the only two choices all through life. And so uh, if we are not settling that God is first and we're thinking we're first, then everything else this this idea of malice, evil, evil disposition, going our own way, doing our own thing. Okay, so all malice, all deceit. Interesting, this word that's translated deceit means bait. Literally, it's bait. Now, who in here are fishermen? Who like to fish? A few of you, okay, good. You use bait, right? You don't throw a bare hook in there and say, come bite this, all right? No, you put bait on it. And really what you're trying to do is deceive that fish. True? You're trying to deceive him. You're trying to make think this is really good food. You should eat this. And, but why are you doing that? It's because you want to deceive them so that then they do what you want them to do. You want them to bite. The, you want to capture them. And so in our lives, when we are living deceitfully, we are living in ways, this idea of bait, in other words, to try to get something from somebody. We live in a way that, you know, we, we need something from somebody. Or maybe we don't want somebody to know something. And so we disguise whatever's going on, right? He says, that needs to go. You can't be living that way and really have a passionate, growing relationship with God. Because all you're doing is being passionate about getting what you want. Okay, so deceit needs to go. Hypocrisy, boy, that's a, you know, if someone calls you a hypocrite, them's fighting words, right? That's the way we feel. 
Uh, it literally means uh, play acting. Play acting or under a mask. And so the idea here is we, we tend to all have an image we like to portray to other people. Like we like to portray that we, you know, have it all together in a certain way or we want people to see us a certain other way or we don't want people to see us that way or whatever. And so we start acting outwardly to try to make that happen. And who are we, who are we taking care of here? Ourselves, you see. And, and, but that needs to go. He says, no, you need to be who you are. You need to be real. And that probably means we need to be getting better also. as who, That's who we are. Okay, hypocrisy, envy. Envy is this idea that, that somehow rather that when you do well, that bothers me because I think I should be the one doing well and I'm energized by seeing you fail. I don't, I, I, I'd somehow rather take, you know, satisfaction in that. Have you ever known anybody who um, somehow rather thought that by talking and tearing down other people's reputation that somehow or other that made them feel important. You ever seen that? Maybe you've done it. So it's something that needs to go. It's very self-centered, very focused. And then he says in all evil speaking, that just refers to any kind of talking that, that is not positive, that is not helpful, that is not constructive. You know, that's, that's gossip or that's tearing down or that's slanders, anything like that. Um, and why does that matter so much? Well, because Jesus told us something about where our words come from. Anybody remember? Where do our words come from? The heart, that's right. And so this, any kind of that evil speaking kind of reveals what's going on in our hearts, okay? And so all of these things are about taking care of a number one here, about making sure that things go the way I want them to go for me, making sure you see me the way I want you to, and maybe I got to fool you to do that. And, and once again, I doubt that any of us here have a conscious plan to do that. I doubt that any of us, you know, have sitting down recently and said, okay, here's a plan how I am going to have malicious intent, deceive people, be a hypocrite, be envious, and say bad things. But yet we can do them. And they can pop up when we're expecting. But the idea is if we're going to be passionate for God and grow in our relationship with him, we need to be trying to get rid of those things. We need to be recognizing those things and, and pulling them away so that they don't get in the way, okay? So we gotta let it go. And, and, and we're really talking about here, these things we do because we wanna feel secure or we wanna feel significant. But the, here's the deal. You gotta let go of trying to make those things work for yourself. You gotta turn to the Lord and find your security in Him. You have to turn to the Lord and find your significance in Him. Then you can start letting go of all that other stuff, okay? All right, so the second thing we need to do here if we're gonna grow in our passion for God and our relationship is this. You need to pursue your relationship with God in his word. Okay, this is what he says here in verse number two. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. He says, like a baby desires mom's milk, so you desire the word of God. Now, 
when a newborn baby comes along, you know, God has designed this, this, how this all works so well. But mom's milk is like the very best thing for that newborn baby, isn't it? Okay? And, and I understand sometimes people can't nurse. I'm not getting into that deal at all. But what I want to say is that God designed it so that, that what's very best for that child is, is mom's milk. And there's a natural desire in that child for that. Okay? And he says, this is the way we need to become with the word of God. And so let me say, is, is the word of God perfectly designed in all ways for what I need? So the baby, the mom's milk is perfectly designed for the baby, so God's word is perfectly designed for you and I. It's gonna make a huge difference. Now, so he says we ought to have a desire for this. And there in verse two is newborn babies desire the pre-milk of the word that you may grow thereby, but desire. That word desire is a, really a very strong word. It's, it's, uh, it's just deep and motivating and, and, and all-consuming at some point. Uh, and when, in a, the, a couple hundred years before Jesus came, uh, there were scholars who wanted to translate the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, into the Greek language. And when they did that, they used this word, and they use it in Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. And so this word pants was the Greek word that they used to translate this same word here, desire. It's the idea of here's a deer who may have been running from the hunter or running from the prey and has escaped and is exhausted and it's just parched and comes to the water and it's just, I gotta have this water, right? And, and, that's what it, and this is what he, the psalmist is saying, God, that's the way I am with you. I have to have you. I need you to work in my life. And this is the same Greek word that the Lord, the Holy Spirit led Peter to use here. As a newborn desires, I gotta have it. Now, have you ever noticed, any of you who have been around newborns, that if they get hungry, they gotta have it, right? And they're not gonna let you relax until they do. Okay, so they are driven by that. They are very passionate about that, we might say. In fact, if a little child, a newborn baby, doesn't have an appetite, that tells us what? Something is wrong. Because this is not the way it's supposed to be. In fact, if they don't have an appetite, eventually they could not thrive, right? And not make it. And so, um, same thing with us, I would say. If we don't have a passionate desire to know God, we don't have an appetite for that, something's wrong, okay? Either we've never received Christ as Savior, so we've never been changed like that, or we're allowed things in our lives that don't belong, that have kind of eroded that appetite and taking that away. Well, newborn babies, uh, like I said, have a natural desire to nurse. Do they, do they have to, do newborn babies have to think, wow, there's a feeling in my stomach. Hmm, what should I do about that? Well, let me think. Well, mom's milk, maybe. No. Okay, I'll, I'll decide. I'll choose mom's milk. Do they have to do that? 
No, they don't even think about it, right? It's just, it rolls, okay? Well, for us, it's not quite the same. <laughs> uh, when we do become Christians, at that point, we do get a, a level of desire, and a, a changed heart, a natural desire for the Lord and the things of the Lord. But really, we don't have much experience with that. Uh, and that feelings is not, you know, really grown and taken control of our lives yet. And so we need to make some decisions. We have to de decide to pursue that. Now think about this. The first time the baby uh, is hungry, and it doesn't necessarily know what that is, right? Just, but they become unhappy, and they let you know it. Right, and the longer they're unhappy, the more on certain terms they let you know about it. Okay, well then mom, with bottle or nurse, it feeds the baby, and all of a sudden the baby feels, oh. I know this, because I can think baby thoughts, okay? <laughs> but the baby goes, wow, that's good, and I feel so much better, and this is good, right? Which then, even though that's happening, they aren't thinking about it. Nonetheless, there's a positive reinforcement there. That, oh, that's good, okay. And so next time they feel that way, they want it again, right? And, and it goes. It's like an upward spiral. In, in a, it's a, like a positive feedback loop. Well, that's the same way it is for you and I. So we, we know the Lord, so we have some kind of built-in desire to pursue that relationship with Him. But then when we do it, and he's talking about here the milk of the word, when we get into the word and we get the nutrition from it, all of a sudden we see, wow, that's the way God is. Wow. Changes how we think about stuff. And it's like, oh, that's right. He, he's saying I shouldn't live this way. No wonder I have all these problems in my life. And over here he, he speaks to something related to, to my heart that stirs my heart and says, wow, not only do I want to know God better, I want other people to know him. And, and, and so what happens is we begin to pursue this and, and develop this passion, we grow. It's like, for us, it's an upward spiral. Okay, we get in the word and it, it encourages and builds us up. We get in the word and it challenges and we make changes and we grow and we get in the word and it inspires us about, you see what I mean, a growing. And that's what he's saying we need to have, like that newborn baby with mom's milk. And we can grow in that way. So as Christians, for us to do what we're talking about, which is to grow in your passion for God so that you can grow in your relationship with him, you, you have to make some decisions. You do have to make some decisions. Because how can you get from where you are to that passion? Well, I think of it sort of an illustration of, of uh, a grill, a charcoal grill. And you, you turn the gas on. If you turn the gas on, just leave it on. Do you get any flame? No? Now, if something happens later, you might get a big explosion. But just turn the gas on and do You have to do what? Push the igniter. And you hear that. And the flame is ignited. And so it is with us. There are certain things that we need to do. We need to do something that will ignite that flame, ignite that passion. Uh, another thought way of thinking about it, if you're not a... a you don't use the grill, the car. You gotta turn the key or push that start button to ignite the combustion of the cylinder so that the engine runs now and now it's running. 
There's things you have to do. And so it is in our lives. If we are going to ignite that passion, uh, how are we going to do that? What do we do that will ignite that passion? Well, Peter tells us here, verse number three. He says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. You've tasted that the Lord is gracious. And so Peter here is telling us that we need to have this passionate desire for God and his word like a newborn baby. And he says, hey, this makes sense if you understand and remember how gracious God has been to you. That will be a motivation to you. you you're going to consider the graciousness of God and as you think about it, it begins like pushing that igniter or turning that key because of what God has done and is doing for us. So, so that's the third thing here, to remember how gracious God is to you. Remember how gracious he is. This word gracious has multiple meanings, and I'll just read them to you. It means pleasantly kind. Has God been pleasantly kind to you? Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever gotten what you deserve from God? It's a little bit of a trick question. Um, I would say to you, never demand what you deserve from God because what you ultimately deserve is eternity in hell. Okay? So anything we get from God is gracious at that point. But he's been pleasantly kind to me Benevolent, that means gentle and caring, concerned. Courteous. We don't want to think of God being courteous, but is he courteous? Yes, because he lets you decide, doesn't he? He respects you enough to let you decide. Characterized by good taste, comfort, ease, or luxury. God has all the riches that we could ever need. Being merciful. We're compassionate. That's what gracious means, merciful. Has God been merciful to you? Has he been compassionate to you? All these things. So if you have experienced these things, it will motivate you to pursue your relationship with him. And really, this is the call of, of one of the psalmists in the Old Testament when he says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Taste he's good. And, and so as we consider his goodness, that stirs, that pushes the igniter, that turns the key as we consider his goodness, that motivates us in a way that stirs passion. And the more we learn about that, the more passionate we can become. And so let's take just a little bit of time here and look at some examples. Um, I'm not gonna go through all these, I'm gonna go through a bunch, but. Uh, I have, there's 20 ways that God has shown us his graciousness that we can see in chapter one of 1 Peter alone. Okay, not even going to the rest of the Bible. Okay, so listen here. God knew about us before the world began, knew we'd need a savior and planned to save us. God provided a way for us to be cleansed from our sin and its eternal consequences. He has shown us great mercy by saving us even though we don't deserve it. 
He has given us new life within when we receive Christ as Savior. He has reserved a space in heaven that will never wear out, dim, or grow old. And thankfully, he has saved us in a way that keeps us saved. If it's up to me, I'd lose it, but not him. God works in every trial of life for our good. He gives us joy in the midst of our sadness and sufferings. And he uses those things to purify our faith. So he doesn't let them go to waste. God has assured us that our destiny is eternity with him. And he's done such amazing things for us that the angels in heaven are curious about it. They say, what, what is this that God has done? God has promised that as good as these blessings are, the best by far is yet to come. He spent his most precious treasure, his son, to save us. And he doesn't play favorites. He values all of us highly, equally. God has given us good reason to believe. He's purified us on the inside when he saved us. He's given us spiritual brothers and sisters to love and be loved by. He's given us his unchanging word and he desires to continue working in our lives for his perfect purposes. Has God been gracious to you? Can you know if, if we had, if I took a microphone around today and you could get over your fear of speaking, I bet most of us would have something to say, you know the Lord has been very gracious to me in this area of my life or in these events or whatever. And so the idea is grow in your passion for the Lord so you can grow in your relationship. And the way that's going to be, you're going to have to really understand what he did for us. You do got to get rid of, right? You need to say, hey, wait a minute. I can't live for self. I need to live for the Lord and get those things out of my life. And I, I need to stir this passion. How am I going to stir it? Well, I'm going to focus in on how good God has been to me how gracious he's been. And even the hardest things I've ever gone through or am going through now, he is not wasting. He is going to use for his good purposes in my life. Now remember, this isn't even available to you if you have not received Christ as Savior. That's where it has to start. You say, oh God, that's me. I'm sin. I need a Savior. I believe that Jesus died for me and rose again. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for Peter's words that you, your spirit led him to write. And I pray, Father, that we would have a desire to grow in our passion for you, to be motivated by it, to be led along by it, to continually be stirred by it, to to turn to you and into your word and, and to live our lives for you. Lord, we need to, uh, you to help us with that. You need, we need you to show us those heirs in our life where we're still living for ourselves and, and keeping ourselves number one. Lord, help us to see those things and, and challenge us to remove them. And then, Lord, really help us to understand what you've done in our lives, what you are doing and what you're promising to do that we might taste again and again and again your graciousness to us. For we know that that will stir up our passion, our desire for you.
And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.